to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, church. Good morning. Still feel like I have to do this for folks in the back because I'm trying to see. I see you back there. Yes. Raise that hand. The buses will wait. I see you. Well, we have some birthdays in the church today. That's right. Three of our staff members are having birthdays. Megan, I think she turned 16 today. Thank you. Jay, Jay, what are you turning? 25 today? Is that, yeah, I thought so. And Skip is turning, wow. <laughs> yeah, 18. Boy, you have a fan out there, Skip. Uh, delusional, but a fan. Um, let's see, happy birthday. Anybody else have a birthday today or this past week? Yeah, okay, let's just sing happy birthday. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear. Happy birthday to you. Woo! Yes. Um, Karen and I had an anniversary on Friday. It was our 49th anniversary. Yeah. 49 years since she saw me across the football field in my uniform. That's none of this is the truth. And actually it was me seeing her across the football field because I was a band geek and uh, seeing her. So she's with our uh, brand new grandson this morning and, and I'm here with you. So she, she gets to see him. And so uh, anyway, it's been a great ride. Uh, I've probably, Karen has probably spent this has been 49 years. She's probably spent the best 10 years of her life with me. Um, just, I'm on a roll here, people. Help me. Um, if this is your first time joining us, uh, my name's Tim, and I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and we've been in a series called Ordinary People because I think and I totally believe that's who Jesus ministered to. Uh, that's who he's still talking to. There are no uh, people in this world who are not ordinary to God and whom he does not love and care for. And as we watch Jesus' life through the Gospels, we get an idea and we get a picture of how he confronted, how he engaged uh, different ordinary people uh, with their lives and with the new life that he was bringing into the earth. Uh, at this, we're going to be over in Matthew 5. The fill-in is, is on the Bible app. It's also on my Pastor Tim Facebook page. I think it's up on the, our church Facebook page if you want to follow along. It's 3 this morning, but I'll fill them in for you here. But um, they're not really points. They're kind of like my takeaways. That's what I'm always, 4, 5, sometimes 3, 4, 5. It is just, I'm always praying when I read, like, Lord, help me be able to see into this something, somewhere that grabs me and pulls me into it. Somewhere in there I can see myself. Somehow I can begin to have the same conversation with Christ that's going on now, how he can speak to me, how I can listen to him. And, and so when that 
as I read through it, then I begin to look at those particular statements, questions, whatever, that really are pretty personal for me through all of this. And and at this point in time in Jesus's ministry, uh, he's met and, you know, he has had a many meals with people, as we talked about. Eating was a big part of the Bible, a big part of the New Testament, a big part of Jesus's life, a uh, very social event. Many of us are truly missing that portion of our life right now. I, I know last night's the first time since early March that we have had a meal with someone uh, at, in a, you know, like a restaurant spaced out in the first time since March. And I didn't realize because we're trying to keep keep this thing for our grandkids and our kids were, try, were trying to be nice little parents. And, uh, you know, so I didn't realize how much of that social need, honestly, that we have, even if you're an introvert, you still are so used to having some exchange and some warmth and being with people, you don't realize how much it's missing until you finally get back in it and and uh, you go, wow, you know, I've really, I've, I truly miss this. And, um, and so there's a lot of eating going on here with Jesus and, and meals and and now the religious enforcers of the day uh, come along to Jesus, uh, and they've noticed that Jesus' disciples, and I thought this was so funny, being that we are where we have to wash our hands so much now, they noticed that his disciples were not washing their hands before they had a meal. Now, their reasons are a lot different than ours, and we'll see that in just a minute. Ours is so we can protect the people we love. That's the reason we do it. Uh, and, but this is how religion hijacks faith many times, is what began as an act of love and a consideration for someone else suddenly becomes a law in which way we actually judge people's you know, religiosity or their faith or their commitment or whatever. And this is what's happened in a way here. Uh, they are not washing their hands, and so the Pharisees draw that, you know, make that point in this passage of Scripture to Jesus. Like, why don't you, you know, what's the deal, man? You know we're supposed to wash our hands. And uh, so we're going to see this confrontation today. And this was the oral law. It was the spoken law that had been kind of added. It's funny how these things go. You know, the Pharisees added these additional let's say, ways to, to live life for themselves so that they could live more obediently, they believed, and more uh, committed. But eventually those things that were personal suddenly came out of them in a way that were corporate. And now it's we take what our conviction was and we're placing it on everyone and we are judging everyone by the conviction that I had that at one time was very beneficial for me because it reminded me of something with God or some commitment. But now it's turned, instead of inside, it's gone outside and now it's a screen by which you know I judge other people by and so you know we're kind of there and uh, we, do, we all know that in the Bible we hear cleanliness is next to godliness right can somebody look that up for me quick I just find that scripture it's not in there there's nothing wrong with being clean, and if you live during this period of time, there's certainly nothing wrong with washing your hands now. I hope you do it, and I hope you... I've got these little towelettes in my pocket all the time, you know. You'll never notice how quick I am. It's like I wipe my hands before you even know it, you know. So, you know, these folks lived in a very dusty, hot place. It was 
dirty, you would go into someone's house, you know, and, and being clean was very important to the Pharisees and to this culture. And so you would wash your hands, your feet, your host would offer that to you. And, uh, but it became a, a symbol of in, inward purity, that as you washed your hands, as you washed your feet, it was a sign that your heart had been washed and that you were clean before God. And, and so it kind of got you know, inverted and perverted, and that is that if I don't wash my hands, it means my heart's not clean. You get this? Instead of the opposite way. And so um, hand washing was good then. It's even better now. But it was, you know, kind of hijacked and changed as a lot of things happen with uh, us humans we do. I love Roger Olson. He's a theologian who breaks down the things that we believe as Christians into three groups that we all need to sometimes maybe evaluate. That is dogma, and that is what what are the non-negotiables? What are the things that make you a Christian? What are the beliefs that you know are not up for grabs? That are not that cannot be negotiated out of your life. They cannot be, someone cannot talk you out of them. You know they're firm, they're there. That's dogma, that's a good word. It's not a bad word, dogma. And, you know, those are probably few. There should be few, but very, very important issues and beliefs. And they're doctrines. And doctrines are less important. It's like Calvinism versus Wesleyanism. You know, it's it's uh, different doctrines that we have that... But don't separate me from having fellowship with another Christian who doesn't share the same doctrine. Because our dogma is the same. We believe in who Christ is. And there's, you know, like I said, a, a short list, I think, of that. And then there's opinions. Lord knows we have opinions. And we all should have opinions. And we do have opinions. And we have spiritual opinions about things. And we're free to have them. And we're free to have our convictions about them. But they are opinions. They're not dogma. And so they shouldn't separate us from having fellowship with other Christians. And, uh, and so dogma, doctrine, opinion, I think that's a good, concise way to kind of sometimes do a bit of an inventory in your faith walk and how you're living. And so in Matthew 15, 1 through 20, uh, Jesus has this interaction. And I want you to ask yourself while I read this, ask yourself, which one of these characters in this play am I? As this stage is set and as the actors walk out on stage and they begin this drama, why don't you do this? Ask yourself, who am I in this? So here we go. Then some of the Pharisees, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your mother, your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is, quote, devoted to God. I'll come back to this in a minute explain it. They are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Oh, gentle Jesus, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. 
Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be pulled up by the roots. Has not planted, will be pulled up by the roots. Lead them, they are blind gods. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Jesus, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth comes from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Lord, bless the reading of your word this morning. Bless the next few minutes that we have together. Lord, I pray for your help. Lord, help me in my weakness. Give me the gift of teaching, God. Open up your word to us. Lord, I I pray that in bold and bright letters, God, we will see ourselves in this story at some point and so that you will teach us and bring us along in following you. And Lord, have your way. Take no quarter. Have your way with us today, Holy Spirit. Come and move in our hearts. And for those here who have not crossed the line and committed their lives and surrendered their lives to you, as you woo them, Lord, I pray that today is their day as they surrender to you and begin their journey with you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the participants in this and see who you think you are. You have the Pharisees. You have Jesus. You have the crowd. Jesus turns to the crowd after he hears what the Pharisees say, right? You have the disciples. And then, of course, you have Peter. And uh, so as you think about this, and even if you leave, as you leave today and go home, maybe you can revisit this and ask the Lord. Maybe, in, Lord, who am I in this story? Uh, Jesus responds with pointing out how the Pharisees bend their traditions to suit their own selves, all the while being so strict on others. He uses something, and this was called Corban, uh, C or Q-O-R-B-A-N. It was basically meant blessed, and that was that you know, they valued the relationship with their mom and dad back during this period of time, and, and the children were responsible for the mom and dad, not the mom and dad responsible for the children as they got older. And so it was a, a lot different situation. So what happened was that if someone did not want to spend the money on taking care of their aged parents, they could go to the priest and go, this amount of resources that I have that was going to be there to take care of them, I am going to bless, I am going to dedicate to God. And so once they did that, once he, it would be a he, did that, then the priest would ordain it as such, and that money, though it still stayed under the control of the guy, the dude that had it, he didn't have to spend it on dad and mom. So if dad and mom came along and they needed some help, it would go, well, you know, I just dedicate all of my money, everything I had, to the temple. So sorry, it's dedicated to God, and I don't have to spend it on you, but I still have it. And so Jesus says, this was not a part of Moses' law. This was an addition to things and it had been manipulated and in turn for the benefit 
of themselves. And so the Pharisees were were tough, you know, using their own traditions. Ben, they, they had become a bit dull themselves. And they had begun to put the mask on, which is what being a hypocrite means. It means we slide a mask over our face. And we suddenly, to some, we're here, and then we put a mask over our face to others. And the Pharisees had suddenly put a mask over their face, and they were one thing to, to one person, and they were another to another at the time. And so Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah, whom they know very well with these words. These people, who are these people? The Pharisees, right? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Ouch. Wow. You know, and if you had to fill in in front of you this morning, this, this would be what I'm, and this is how it was speaking to me. Right, and I had I wrote out, don't place tradition ahead of God's moral will. Don't place tradition ahead of God's moral will. I know that's a little long, but it's the only way I know to say it. Don't place tradition ahead of God's moral will. And like verse six, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. The traditions are more important than what God actually said or how he is teaching us to care for people so here let's talk about it you got some people around you if you need to put your mask on and get a little closer it's okay we're going to do like we did last week and take a minute or two what are some religious traditions you grew up with what are some religious traditions you grew up with can you just share lean maybe across and and just say it well we did this this is something we traditionally did what are some religious traditions you grew up with? Yeah, it doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean they're bad. Okay, but just how about some? Or you know, what are some traditions we pick up? When I came into uh, the, I guess you would call it, charismatic, Pentecostal uh, arena, uh, in which I knew nothing. And um, but when I came into it, but I love the love for the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. I loved it. Uh, uh, and I just wanted more of that and, and more. But I heard things said that, that I never forgot. One of the things I heard one time was this. Just think if Billy Graham was filled with the Spirit. And I'm looking at this guy that said that to me. He said, just imagine what he could accomplish. <laughs> like, Sorry, I can't think of anything else. <laughs> you know, that, that's a tradition, and that flows into doctrine or, I think, opinion, basically, that, you know, someone has to act or you have to see something on someone in order for them to be able to attest to you that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And for this person, it was speaking in tongues. Like if the person, uh, you know, they'd never heard that Billy Graham had ever spoken in tongues, therefore... Tradition was he couldn't possibly be filled with the Spirit. And, you know, I and my naivete immediately went, what about Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, all of that you see in his life, you know, and, 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 and my mind just started clicking. I still like, oh, God, I still want your presence. That doesn't make sense to me, but I'll take what I can get, you know. So I'm just going to eat the meat and spit out the bones, and that's the bones. 
you know, there it goes. But that's the way tradition, you know, tradition will do that to us. It will put us in a place of kind of being up above everyone else. And then we were sometimes incapable of seeing what God has done in other people's lives. It, it, just amazing. Um, you know, another one at that period of time in my life was the thing about tongues, you know, and, and I'm, I unashamedly tell you, I speak in tongues. I pray in tongues. I love it. I think it's an amazing gift. Um, it helps me in my prayer life because as we're as talkative as I seem to be, I do run out of the English language after a while and I don't know how to tell God how much I love him anymore. And, and or maybe I'm hurting and I'm praying and I'm needing God to move in my life and I don't know what to say any longer. And I believe that unction from the Holy Spirit or I'm praising Him. I ran out of superlatives and adjectives and I don't know what else to say. The Holy Spirit comes along and He helps my prayers. And He helps me in that. And I'm very grateful for that. But it's for me and God. It's between me and God. And it's in our prayer life. And it's me communicating with Him and praising Him. But you have to speak with tongues in order to show you're filled with the Spirit. That's you know, that's hijacking, that's taking something, and it's it's just pretty painful. I watched a, a wonderful man for decades that went to a particular persuasion of church that loved Jesus, but because he had not spoken in tongues, he couldn't join the church, he couldn't serve. And for 40 years, this faithful, obedient, loving man, whom I saw at my father's funeral just a few months ago and looked at me after four and a half decades and said, it happened. So finally he felt like he was welcomed into the family. That's a sad thing to me. That's a tradition hijacking the main part of what we're doing. And so that's why I ask you, especially in your religious experience in life, what has been added on to the love that, for Christ that you had when you first came to know Him, when He first captured your heart, when you first surrendered your life to Him, when you felt His love and you felt His forgiveness and you felt His purpose in your life that now He's there and He's going to lead you and He's going to help you. And then all of a sudden we start adding on these traditions. That, and you know what? Christians are some of the most miserable people I know. <laughs> and you know why? Because of that. We keep adding on, adding on, adding on, adding on to things until suddenly we can't add on anymore. And we all know that if you do right, that means you are right, right? And so the traditions that we add on many times, will, they will just suffocate the faith out of us. And obedience is important. But it's amazing to me how often the heart is spoken of, not only in the New Testament, but all the way through the Old Testament as well. And this is my, my next second fill-in here. Don't talk the talk without the heart. <laughs> Don't talk the talk without the heart. Is there heart in it? Is there a humanness in it? Is there a... How do you describe this? The heart of God. The compassion of God. The humility of God. Is that there? Obedience is not wrong. But it's the heart, the heart, the heart again and again in Scripture. The Shema that Jesus quotes in Matthew 27, 37. You know, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. The heart. It's a matter of motivation. What motivates our obedience? What motivates our leading and helping one another? What motivates it? Now here, let me ask you this question. How can you tell when your heart just isn't in it? How can you tell when your heart just isn't in it? And by that I mean in your faith walk. How can you tell when your heart just isn't in it? I know that's a deep question. You've got to think about it in a few minutes. But, you know, for me, I, I'll, I'll get you started. I'll prime the pump here. For me, it's like I feel this. I feel like the Holy Spirit kind of does this. Cringes in me. Like, oh, Tim. Ah, that's, you need to rethink that. You know, the what you just said, how you responded, how you, how you sized up that particular person and their comment to you. Oh, you know, for me, it, it's trying to be acutely aware of his presence in my life and his conviction in my life. So how about for you? How do you know when your heart is not behind what you're saying? How can you tell when your heart isn't in it? Now... Before I hit the last one here, I want to say to you, dear Christian, dear follower of Jesus, if you are like worn out and you have found your fervor for life and your sense of, of love and your heart being in following Jesus waning, I'm telling you, don't throw in the towel. Maybe go through a soul check here. And this is your last fill-in. And I just did a double negative on this. Um, don't not listen to yourself. I could have said listen to yourself, but I was on a don't roll. So <laughs> don't not listen to yourself. Listen to what you say. Listen to what comes out of your mouth sometimes. Because if you do listen to what you say, you will find out whether your heart's in it or not. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. I ask you at the beginning of this morning for you to ask yourself, who are you in this story? Who are you? You know who we usually pick in the story for ourselves? The hero, right? Don't you do it? Like you read a story and you find somebody that's the hero and you go, yeah, I would have done that. That's me. That's me. That's me. I heard someone uh, say that this is the Disney princess theology. <laughs> you know, like you watch a movie, you know, or something, and, and you see yourself in the role as the hero, as the, as the one in it. But we're not always the hero in every story. And for us to understand our heart and for us to continue to be discipled by the Lord and by His Word and by the Holy Spirit and by one another in each other's lives, we need to let our hearts be exposed many times. I mean, who are you in this story? Are you the Pharisee? I've been the Pharisee before. I mean, it, he shows up 
at times. And if I listen to what I'm saying many times or something, I will hear a Pharisee speaking. But if I'm always Jesus in the story, I never get to see that other side and it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Are you the crowd? Are you the disciples? Are you Peter? Uh, Lord, can you kind of explain that to us? You, speaking in all these parables, are you so dull, Peter? I can't explain it again. You know, I, I, am, I think I'm like him a whole lot. But you, if you'll listen to what you say, and, and Jesus kind of explains it here when he says, here's what comes out of the heart, evil thoughts. And this is, we don't listen to ourselves, and we don't think about what we're doing. These, these will come out if we don't take inventory. He says murder. You think, oh man, I've never murdered anybody. We do it with our mouths all the time. We do, we get so irritated at the television. We get so irritated at one another sometimes, the people we love the most. And then this spitefulness suddenly will come out of our mouths, you know, and, and this vengefulness and this hatred and this vitriol. And if we will just take the time to go, please, Lord, let me hear myself. Let me hear myself so I can take inventory of what's going on in me right now. Because in this story, I'm suddenly this part of the play. Because that's how we deal with it is seeing it. Murder, adultery. Thoughts go on. We look. We say words about another person that's not our mate. Then we laugh about it. We think it's funny. We think it's cute. You know, but Lord, help me. Show me my heart. Because it's what comes out of the heart and then pours out of my lips. If I can see it, then I can go back to God and go, Lord, creating me a pure heart, oh Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. Creating me a new heart. Theft. You know, you said, well, I've never stolen anything, at least a long time. And... You know, but but we, we envy people, don't we? We envy people. We're like, man, I wish I had that. They don't deserve that. I deserve that. Well, then we dream about having it. And you know, we begin to take and envy and pull to ourselves. And it begins to flow out of our mouths. And then there's false testimony. And that goes right with the next one, slander. And we kind of slip around, you know, behind someone that maybe has said something we don't like or that has hurt us or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden we're talking about them to someone else and we're minimizing that person. The more we go, we're getting making them smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And we don't even know we're doing it. And then we're like, God, please, let me hear myself, please. And if you're married to someone who is so wonderfully special to you that will go... Have you heard yourself? Did you just hear yourself? <laughs> then you have that one. You know, sometimes I think my wife knows things before the Holy Spirit does. And so, you know, if you have someone around you that can speak to that and, and in love and in beautiful love to, to help bring it because we want a heart. To, we want to love purely. We want to love from the heart the way Christ has called us to live this life. And it is indeed a part of a continuing discipleship in order to retrain ourselves. But false testimony and then slandering someone, impugning someone's character or their motivations, and, and uh, we don't even notice we're doing it. And, you know, 
Psalms 26, 2 says, test me, Lord, you know, test me, Lord, and try me, try me, examine my heart, test me, examine my heart, I want to know, Lord, in Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, so whatever you hear, is what is there. <laughs> and so, who are you in this drama this morning? Who, is, who are you? And when is the last time, here's our last question, and we're going to pray here. When is the last time you caught yourself in a defiling moment? When is the last time you felt the goodness of God suddenly say, are you, are you listening to yourself right now? Do you hear what you're saying? When is the last, you know, that's a real gift when those things happen. Those are gifts from God. They're signs of love from God. From a wonderful Lord and Savior who cares so much about you that he wants you to look like him. And he wants you to learn to live like him. And so those moments are not spiteful as the Pharisees would deal with one another, with the people that followed them know it's from a savior, a brother, and a Lord who says, I want you to live like me. And I've given you my spirit. And you're noticing this because this is a moment now of growth and a moment for me, for you to change your heart and for me to move more into your life and to have a heart for me and a heart for your neighbor the way that you should. I won't ask you to share that, but think about that for a minute. When is the last time that you were caught in a, you heard yourself and it was a defiling. You were defiling yourself by the way you were talking. And we're good about a moral diet, aren't we? We're good about eat this, don't eat that, do this, don't do that. But what if God is after our heart and he's always been after our heart? And once he has our heart, then he gets our life. Then we begin to live this life in the way that he always has dreamed and for why he came now. Because it is out of the heart that we do life. And so today, Lord, I pray that indeed... These moments when we are called, Lord, to recognize your conviction, to recognize a moment of saying, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, help me, Lord. Help me have the heart that you had. Or beautiful moments, God. Beautiful moments with you. We don't do right in order to be right. We do good because our hearts are good. And because you, Lord, are changing us and have changed us. And Lord, I can't do this without you because I do believe, Lord. Like the Old Testament says, well, my heart is desperately wicked and I can't know it. But I also know, Lord, in Ezekiel, you promised, Lord, to give us your spirit, to give us a new heart. 
a heart, Lord, where your spirit would come and the law wouldn't be a written list of rules, but it would be a way to live because of the, how much you love us and how much you love this world, that we want to live this way out of love, not rules. And so, Lord, right now, I pray you forgive us if you're tapping on, like you tapped on my heart through the preparation of this sermon, Lord, and you pointed some things out to me, and I know you're faithful to continue to do that. I don't want you to stop, Lord. Please continue. Please continue to teach me to hold my tongue, Lord, and to see my heart so it can be submitted to you, Lord, and I can be led in your living way, God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.